Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. My new book, Expat Secrets, is doing fantastic on Amazon right now. The book paints a clear picture on how to internationalize your life. We get into how to use the offshore markets to protect your assets, minimize your taxes, and grab yourself a second passport. We talk about the best places to live, the best places to hold your wealth, and the best places to run your business from. At the end of this book, you'll have a much clearer picture of how things fit together and what steps you need to take in your own life to diversify your business, wealth, and life overseas. You can grab a copy on Amazon today by searching Expat Secrets or going to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. Okay, let's jump into today's interview. You're going to love this conversation. Let's do it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for ECI Development, a regional development company based throughout Latin America in Costa Rica, Belize, Panama, Argentina, and Nicaragua. From the ground up, she has built and grown the Sales and Marketing Department at ECI Development. And she has structured the Teak for Residency program in both Panama and Nicaragua to assist those looking to pair up residency with alternative options outside of their home countries. Originally from the suburbs of New York, she now calls San Pedro Belize home. Please welcome to the show, Rachel Jensen. Rachel, how are you? Thank you, Mikkel. Doing very well. How are you doing today? I'm very happy to have you here, Rachel. Thank you very much. Rach, why don't you take a couple of minutes and kind of go through your backstory. How did you get working in real estate? How did you get uh, down this this avenue? I, I just love real estate so much, so I'm, I'm so curious and interested to learn from you today. Sure, absolutely. Well, I always thought I wanted to be a dermatologist when I was growing up, but I can tell you that I've had a passion for real estate since I was young. My mom and I used to go to open houses all around the neighborhoods, even though we weren't looking to buy a home, but we were just looking to see what was included in the home, what they were offering. And in addition to that, my grandfather has owned real estate, rental real estate uh, in New York for, for years. That was his business and it's what he's still doing today. So there's always been this real estate inside of me, but Growing up, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. So I went to college, taking the pre-med classes, taking Spanish as well, and then ended up traveling throughout my years in college to Nicaragua first as a medical mission trip, and then to Spain for a study abroad, 
And then towards the end of college, I realized I didn't really want to do that anymore. So I was exploring options. I registered to join the Peace Corps to teach English in Panama, but didn't end up doing that because instead I took an internship with a real estate development company that was in Latin America, which is ECI development. So right out of college, I jumped into this international real estate world, which really looking back on it, you can kind of tell what you're going to do in life based on what you really enjoyed doing when you were younger, before people really told you, you have to do this, or you have to focus on that, or this is what you need to study in school. And looking back on it, I saw I I really did have this passion for real estate. So over the past seven years, been working down in Latin America. Uh, obviously, there real estate is a little bit different than it is in, in in the states, a little bit different than it is in New York for sure. But it's been a great opportunity to learn about the different real estate laws, what's changing, the regulations there. Uh, in addition to that, I do personally own real estate in both Latin America and, of course, in the United States. But I uh, have really seen the real estate industry grow and blossom in Latin America. And Belize, as you mentioned, is home for me today. Watching the real estate market there since 2012 has been such an amazing opportunity. We're seeing this growth in the number of tourists coming, this growth in the number of real estate development projects, and really this this heightening of awareness of ownership of real estate in a foreign country. And I think for so many people, and this is a conversation I have quite a bit, for so many people, they think that to own real estate overseas, they need to be a millionaire. And that's typically because we've heard celebrities who have houses in the Swiss Alps and celebrities that have houses in Lake Como and France and and wherever else in the world where it sounds like such a luxurious, expensive lifestyle But with ECI Development, we build real estate really designed for that middle class uh, market where we can still deliver really high quality luxury product, but not necessarily have that two, three, four, five million dollar price tag associated with it. So being able to offer condos for $125,000 or $200,000 for a, a two bedroom, two bath house has really been rewarding. And so it's neat to see that more people are becoming aware of this industry outside of the United States. I know we're in a market right now in the United States where rental real estate opportunities are amazing. The the rental market is great and uh, the the market generally is doing quite well. So while people have this excess cash lying around, what they're doing is is really diversifying themselves, taking themselves overseas, uh, building up that portfolio to include places that maybe they wanted to own real estate but haven't had the opportunity to do it. Maybe they like it because they want to vacation there or maybe they're just simply looking not to have all of their eggs in one basket. So real estate is definitely a passion of mine. I It might sound boring to some folks, but I do like to keep up on the laws and the regulations and understanding what's going on in the marketplace and of course, uh, how we, we can best position ourselves to really help clients find the properties that they're looking for. So you really have a very unique background in it because traditionally, like I, I've had a lot of people on the show who deal with real estate, but usually they just come in from from purchasing real estate, whether that be single family homes or apartment buildings or multi doors, you know. And you've done that not just in the United States and in Central America, but you've also been working for the last say ten years in the development side of it. So you really have it from multiple multiple angles, which I just think is so interesting. 
Yeah, so it is really interesting. And I think one of my favorite parts about it is really taking a look at what the market is looking for and what the market wants and who the market is. Because I can tell you, when I was first beginning, most of the people who were buying real estate overseas were retirees. And that hasn't necessarily changed. Retirees are still buying real estate overseas. But over the past decade, internet access has gotten a thousand times better in a lot of these countries. And because of that, we see a lot more perpetual travelers. We see a lot more digital nomads, people who can pop open their computer, start working regardless of where they are and make a pretty nice income from doing that. So studying the market is also quite a big passion. So we're seeing it is the retirees, but we're also seeing this younger generation, whether Gen X, Gen Y, even some millennials in some cases where they're buying real estate now to have and use personally as vacation property, use for a couple times out of the year, or perhaps use it when they get closer to retirement. So it's really neat to see that. And, and you're right, from the development perspective, it takes a little bit more insight to making sure that we are building products that the marketplace is looking for. Okay, so I want to pick your brain a little bit about the development side, because that's not something that I have a huge uh, background in myself. Like I own real estate, um, apartments and things like this, but that's so very different than actually building the places. So can I, I want to know like straight off the bat, how do you guys end up choosing some of the locations? Like I know you guys have a project that are, is going in in Argentina right now. You're all through the Caribbean and Central America. Talk to me a little bit about the criteria that you guys look for and how that all fits together. Of course. Well, with our company specifically, our business model is built upon having products for everybody. And what I mean by that is not everybody necessarily wants the Caribbean. Not everybody wants a vineyard estate. Not everybody wants the Pacific. Some people want mountains. And everybody has a different idea of where they want to own real estate. And this goes back to Dell Webb's concept of Sun City, where he understood people were going to retire. Some people wanted to retire in in Arizona, some people wanted to retire in Florida, some wanted to retire in the Northeast. So what he ended up do doing was building about 21 uh, communities and really captured, well, 50 communities throughout 21 states, but he really captured this essence of, of building real estate, building communities in places where people wanted to be versus where the developer wanted to be. And so with our organization, we took a very similar approach to it. So we do have property in Belize, specifically on the Caribbean, and that's great for people who are looking for Caribbean properties. We also have property in Costa Rica and, and Panama, and right now the less popular Nicaragua. But this is great for us because what we're able to do is offer consumers choice and not just choice of what Pacific beach they want, but choice of prices. Because when you go up and down the region there, you're going to find that some markets have already matured, like Costa Rica, for example. So getting in is going to be more expensive. Now, if you're looking for entry-level pricing, if you're looking for appreciation, somewhere like Nicaragua, where right now is the best time to buy, prices have never been lower. If you're able to hold on to real estate, the appreciation is there. Uh, but having options like that, and then of course, places like Argentina, because some people want to retire in a climate similar to Napa Valley. They want to be surrounded by vineyards. Maybe their passion is the outdoors and, and drinking wine and eating well, but they're not necessarily able to do that in Napa Valley because they don't have that $3 million to get started. So as our organization, what we look to do is work in places where people want to be. Uh, we do have a couple more strategic acquisitions coming up. One of them is in Ecuador in the tropical highlands. 
which is often referred to as springtime all the time, eternal springtime. So there you have cooler climates. Uh, you have more of a, a hilly landscape versus a beach. Uh, one of the things that is very important to us as we are looking at new countries and considerations is making sure that as developers and for our clients, we can get title. Now, this is something that we'll probably talk about during this conversation today, but if we cannot get title to that property, we are not willing to purchase it. And the reason for that, and you've probably heard this over and over, is it can become the Wild West outside of the United States where laws are different. But what that just means is you have to do your due diligence a little bit more and you have to really understand what the laws are in that country. And we don't feel comfortable buying property necessarily where we can't get it titled in our name or at least put in a, uh, in a trust or something along those lines. And there are opportunities like that where you'll find beautiful beachfront property, but you can't get title, you can't get in the trust. There's nothing that you can really do in order to legally hold on to it. So for us, it's all about offering geography, uh, making sure that wherever we go, we, we do get that title and that we're, we're really building product that our consumers and clients are looking for. Well, there has to be so many challenges opposed to, say, a normal, quote unquote, uh, normal real estate development company where it's just done in the United States. Like maybe to go for them to travel, they would go out of state and they would start building in a different state. Like there's got to be so many challenges from doing from Argentina all the way up to Belize. Like that is just a huge geographic region and so many different laws and different countries and different languages and different things like that. Like, I just want to hone in a little bit on, because I'm, I'm just curious myself, like, what are some of these other challenges you guys face as a developer? And, and then I suppose, how do you overcome them? Sure, that's a great question. And, and let me start from the beginning there. One of the most important things to do and that we do as an organization is finding an expert in that country. And usually it's a real estate attorney, somebody who can help guide us through those laws. We do a tremendous amount of research personally uh, to go through all the real estate laws and regulations to make sure we understand it. But having an expert, having a professional there who can help us guide through it. And sometimes in, in these countries, you may do the entire process right but it may be more of a relationship-based country where you really need to know the people that you're working with and then build the relationships to make something happen. So one of the best pieces of advice, and this is true for people who are looking at owning real estate personally as well, is finding a real estate attorney who you work, can work with, whom you feel comfortable with. If you only speak English and you're working in a Spanish-speaking country, you probably wanna find an attorney or a representative who is speaking both English and Spanish so that there can be that translations that, that, that can be done. Now, Mikkel, you mentioned something, what are some of the laws that are different or what's something that uh, we needed to be a little bit more conscious of when going into the country? And one of the big differences is common law versus civil law and ownership of real estate and different structures in those countries. So places like Panama, for example, you cannot own real estate in a trust. Places like Belize, because it's a common law country, you can own real estate in a trust. So something that's very important for us as an organization is making sure we're structuring all of our assets correctly, because we have our parent company, ECI Development, which owns all of the different real estate companies in the five different countries that we talked about. So that needs to be structured properly. But we don't try to go into these countries pretending we know it all. Uh, we do bring in the right resources, the right team members to make sure that we are doing it properly. 
So understanding the, the legalities behind civil law and common law uh, is pretty interesting. Now, this is something that is more so applicable to the clients, but in the United States, people who have a self-directed IRA or an IRA where they can invest freely in uh, tend to look at opportunities of real estate in Latin America. And in places like Panama, for example, Panama does not recognize self-directed IRAs as being legal entities to own to own property. So they cannot get title in the name of their self-directed IRA, but they can get title of a LLC that is owned by a self-directed IRA. So there are lots of little nuances like that that change by country. But what we do as an organization to help people who are looking at real estate overseas is synthesize all of this information. We have comparison charts of ownership of real estate between Nicaragua and Costa Rica, Argentina, Belize, Panama versus the United States and Canada so that it's easy to just look at the line item, see, oh, closing costs. Let's take a look at what that is in, in the U.S. versus Belize. And it's easy to really help understand that information. But I mean, that's something else that varies depending on the country you're in is closing costs. And how do you want to structure something so that it's the most tax efficient? Um, in Belize, for example, closing costs range from there's a 12.5% general sales tax on new property, 8% stamp tax. And so now you're instantly at 20.5% closing costs on brand new construction. In places like uh, like Nicaragua, for example, it's 6%, about up to 6% closing costs. So understanding some of, some of those differences. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's really important for us to know that we as foreigners can get title to the properties. So there are some places uh, that we don't necessarily go in because we cannot get those titles. I remember taking a, a trip personally to Thailand, loved Thailand, was looking at the real estate there. I went into one of the real estate agencies and one of the first things they told me was that you, because you are not a Thai citizen or Thai resident, you cannot own real estate personally in your name, but what you can do is partner with a Thai uh, person. You can have a Thai corporation partner, 50% owned by a Thai person and 50% owned by you, and then you can own the real estate. But personally, I wasn't comfortable with a deal like that. So. Uh, it, there are so many, Mikkel, so many laws across the board, uh, but the big thing for us is that we need to feel comfortable with it so we hire the right people to help us go through the paperwork, making sure that that everything looks good. And if we have a moment here, I can tell a personal story about something that happened about just a month and a half ago uh, where I've become quite good friends with a lot of my clients and one of my clients, I'm going to call him Paul for the, the purpose of this conversation, but Paul and I compare investment opportunities that we find because we have a similar model and philosophy and like this whole diversification concept. And Paul was uh, is an owner with us in the, the Teak program in Panama. He really likes Panama at some point is looking at spending more time down there. And so when I was down there this past January, I was looking at some real estate opportunities and because there's been a significant overbuild in Panama City at this point, you can find really great real estate for inexpensively. So uh, just putting that out there for anybody who's looking at great opportunities, Panama City does have, have great opportunities because there's a, a significant overbuild. But Paul and I are subscribed to a lot of the same newsletters. He forwarded me an email from this company, I'm not going to name the company, but who was promoting Brit. <laughs> but they were promoting brand a brand new build 
in Panama City. And he forwarded me all of the marketing materials. He forwarded me the conversations he was having with the sales agents. And I'm in real estate. I'm in this business. But I was reading the emails. I was like, wow, this sounds really good. And then I went back to Paul and said, can you ask the sales agent you know, what the rental market looks like and if they have a rental management company and, and to see a copy of the paperwork and, and, you know, all of the answers that were coming back to me were sounded great. I mean, it sounded like the best deal on earth. And of course, a lot of sales agents are really good at doing that. So it kind of made me hesitate though, a little bit when Paul came back to me and said, all right, we need to fill out this reservation form and we can send this refundable deposit. They need it over the next couple of days. And granted the conversation with Paul and the sales agents only been going on for about five or six days, five or six days. And I was like, I don't feel comfortable filling out a reservation form, even if it is a refundable deposit, but we've only been talking to this guy for about five to six days. So at this point, we, we asked uh, one of our attorneys in Panama, if she wouldn't mind looking into the project, looking into the developer. And what she came back with was information that instantly told Paul and me not to move forward. And for example, um, they had liens with one of the banks in the sum of about 50, uh, $35 million. Whoa. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 35000 I was like, oh, come on. We can, we can sort that out. $35 million in liens to one of the banks there in Panama. In addition to that, there were previous foreclosures on this building. And that was probably from previous owners. And this current one picked it up at a steal. And that's why he was able to offer great deals. But in addition to that, the contract, so we got a, a copy of the contract from the sales agent, but the contract wasn't in the name of the owner that was in the public registry. In Panama and in a lot of these countries, most countries, you can get a copy of what's deeded in the public registry to see if the deed matches who's selling you the property. And then, that, I mean, that's obviously a big red flag is, is this person who's selling the property legally able to sell the property even though it's not titled in his name? And then lastly, I mean, this, these are four really big red flags. And then the last one was that they only had about three stories built. And this was, I don't know, 20, 25 story structure. And they wanted 100% of the money. So that you send a refundable deposit. If you want to move forward, you send the rest of the money. But I mean, they were things that just you necessarily, or we as buyers didn't necessarily know, wouldn't have known if we didn't spend a little bit more time digging into the project. And I'm very, very glad that we didn't do it. You know, although the numbers looked good and, and, and just the result of what it could have produced looked fantastic, but there's too many question marks in a scenario like that, where it doesn't really make sense to risk your money, even if it's not a large sum, or especially if it's a large sum and you're, you're counting on it to bring income in for you uh, to put yourself in a situation like that. So that would be one of my big pieces of advice for anybody who's starting to look at real estate overseas is you know, consult with other people. You're not going on this journey alone. You don't need to go on this journey alone. I've been lucky enough where I have clients who I do investments with uh, outside of our own projects. And in addition to that, there are attorneys that we work with who are able to bounce ideas off of each other. And you know, sometimes they require a fee upfront, the attorneys do, in order for them to complete their due diligence for you. But you know, if it's a thousand dollars and that saves you one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars from making a big investment mistake, well, that's probably the best thousand dollars that you can spend. So bear bear that in mind. Is you may have to pay a little bit for it, but uh, in the end, especially because a lot of these countries are considered wild west territories, it would make sense to uh, 
to do that sort of due diligence beforehand. Well, that's wild. And and just to take a couple of steps back, we were actually planning to move to Thailand this year and started doing a whole ton of research and reading and, and speaking to people about the move and the visa situation and the properties and everything like that. My mom actually went over to Thailand for a month and started shopping for a house for us. And you know, we looked at the whole situation and also decided it wasn't for us. Although I love the country. I think it's beautiful. And I think the food is amazing. I actually decided that uh, we were not going to move forward. But it's so funny that you're talking about Panama because Panama and I guess I'm going on record here saying this now, but it looks like it looks like Panama will be the country that we are moving to this year. I, I would, for my listeners, let's say 90% sure, okay? Because I don't want we haven't finalized things, but uh, yeah, I think Panama it will most likely be the place. So that is just so interesting for me to hear about your experiences there, and I guess I'll I'll really have to to uh, keep an eye open on on the situation there with the real estate. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the big other considerations here is, you know, if you're looking for investment real estate and you're counting on your investment real estate being rented is understanding how it is going to be rented. Is it going to be through a property management company? Is it going to be through your efforts of Airbnb? And Mikkel, you and I were chatting about this before we started recording, but one of the other caveats in in Panama is that you're not allowed to rent your property through Airbnb in Panama City for less than 45 days. So anything that rents through Airbnb has to be through uh, for more than 45 days. And is that an Airbnb rule or is that a, like a, a, a provincial or a city? Oh, so it's it's a... Yeah, provincial. Provincial primarily because it's in Panama City. But once you get outside of Panama City, you will be able to use Airbnb. Okay, so, interesting. And that's something else that's great for people to know, especially if you are looking at investment real estate, is what do those sort of laws look like there? And you know, it's probably nothing new because depending on what city or what town you're looking to rent in, Airbnb may be allowed, may not be allowed. But that's important because I've sat through many presentations before where, where real estate agents in Panama don't even talk about Airbnb and the client is specifically looking for a rental unit. So They'll go in thinking they can use Airbnb and then they try to register and they get this big red flag saying, sorry, you can't because your address is in Panama City, but thanks for trying. So, I mean, that's that's an important part to, to remember too. And I mean, this is more generally versus just Panama, but thinking about how you want to occupy or use your, your overseas real estate, if it's for a lifestyle, right? if it's a lifestyle purchase, and you're planning to live down there, well, it, it really needs to feel right. It, you need That's a heart decision. It needs to feel right. You have to go and, and take that time to check out the different locations, spend significant time there, rent before you buy anything, and see if it's a place that you really want to call home. Now, if you vacation there a couple of times and you're planning to spend a few months down there and you know it's right, well, at least you know it's right. But if you're looking from an investment perspective, I mean, look where the numbers make sense. Who cares if you personally like it or you personally don't like it? I can tell you that most of the, some of the most successful real estate investors aren't buying property that they personally want to live in. They're buying property that's serving a much needed market. So remember that as you're, you're buying real estate. I think many of us want the best of both worlds where, especially if it's in a great country like Costa Rica on the beach or Nicaragua or Argentina, where we want to be able to use it. And then also have this great rental income as well, but but that's not necessarily the what happens. And you know, for example, I have rental property in Memphis. I've 
visited once uh, at Memphis isn't necessarily a place where I'd want to call home. I know many people who do live there, but it's serving a market that right now is in a, a really big demand there. And so that's really important for people to understand as they're, they're looking at that real estate side of it. And then looping full circle to this point here is that for people who are looking for investment real estate is look where the demand is. You know, understand is your is your demand going to be a local market or is it going to be a, an expat market or a foreigner market? And if there are big differences between real estate and a local market and real estate in an expat or vacation market. So a lot of considerations. And I think one of the most important guides that you can go through is our global property resource kit. And I would recommend emailing expat at ecidevelopment.com, expat at ecidevelopment.com. And in that guide, we go through the 15 must-ask questions when looking at real estate overseas. There's also a really fun quiz in there. If you are looking to move overseas or considering spending time in another country, there is a quiz in there called, Am I Ready to Move Overseas? And it's fun. It's 15 questions. It's easy to do. But using resources like that will help you through the real estate process. And again, just email expat at ecidevelopment.com. Put KIT, K-I-T, in the subject line. And we'll, uh, we'll know which document to send you over there. But really, really great resource. I know, Mikhail, you've been through it uh, a couple of times. And it's one that but people really keep by their side when they're going through this real estate process because they can open up the pages, flip to question number three. Remember to ask, is it plumbed for hot water? Which sounds so silly to ask, especially if you're coming from a developed country. But it is one of those questions that you do need to ask. I remember reading about that. I thought that was just wild. It was like, okay, now I'm going to try to go from memory here. But it was basically like that the master bedroom shower would have hot water. But say the spare bedroom bathroom would not have hot water. Like it would be both sinks would be coming out of the, would be would be split going to the cold water. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I, I can tell you from personal experience. So I lived uh, in Nicaragua for quite some time. And I, where I was living, it was a beautiful house, but I was in, I was living with a family, but I was living in the maid quarters, which was lovely. I mean, there's a great space. I had my own room, my own bedroom. The house, I mean, the, the house is beautiful. It's one of the most expensive parts of Managua, but my shower and sink didn't have hot water. So I, this is Mikel when I was in the best shape of my life because I would go running around, around the community for about an hour, get really, really hot so that the cold shower felt nice when I jumped into it. But yeah, this is, this, is exactly, this is exactly the reality of what's being built. That's just crazy. But, it, you know, these are things that, like, I never would have thought of. I've been traveling for 20 years. I've been to Nicaragua and Belize and Costa Rica and all of these countries that we're speaking about today. I've been to every single one of them. I would never, it, it would never even occur to me to check that. Some, well, it wouldn't have occurred to me to check before now I will but but that's I guess suppose the the advantage of uh, of speaking to someone like you so that's great it's true and I was doing a presentation in Houston this was about two months ago with the Houston Association of Realtors and we were talking about Belize Belize is a hot country right now a lot of buzz surrounding it and the realtors wanted to know how they could help their clients learn about Belize so I was giving this presentation and talking about the 15 questions and one of the 15 questions is is it accessible during rainy and dry season? And again, when you're in a developed country and there's great infrastructure and a road system and uh, dr proper drainage, it's obvious you're going to be able to get there in whatever car you drive year round. Now, one of the guys in the audience raises his hand and he goes, I own real estate 
in I think it was San Ignacio or Cayo district of Belize, which is the jungle area. And he goes, I bought real estate. He bought, I don't know, about 30, 40 acres where he was going to build a personal home during dry season. And then he went during rainy season and he could not access his property. And he said this in front of the entire class. And he goes, I wish I knew. I wish I knew back then what you're telling me now, because it really would have made a difference as to if I bought that property or not. So as a result, he had to put in hundreds of thousands of dollars of road, paved road to get to his property. That's mental. (laughs) Okay. So talk to me about some of the projects themselves. So I know that you guys are doing a Marriott you guys are responsible for doing the Marriott residency in Belize. This is like the first, I guess, brand name hotel chain or or, or big name hotel chain on the Ambergris Key, right? I just want to take a quick break here. After I finished recording the conversation with Richard Mayberry, he made a very special offer to all my amazing listeners here at the Expat Money Show. He offered us a 40% off discount on his one-year subscription to Early Warning Report, his financial newsletter that includes 10 timely issues. If you live in the USA, you get it delivered physically to your door and electronically. And if you live overseas like me, he's going to send it to you electronically in a PDF. Every month when my report comes in, I print it out, sit on my balcony with an espresso, and read it all in one sitting. I rely on early warning report to understand how things fit together from that 40,000-foot view, how geopolitics, economics, and law are affecting my money today. Richard Mayberry's writing in early warning report is the closest thing you are going to find to seeing into the future. If you want to learn more about this special opportunity and claim 40% off the cover price of early warning report today, just go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash EWR. That's EWR for early warning report. Yeah, so this is the first trademark hotel. We have some sub hotels, a Curio by Hilton, and then um, there's also one, another one that's going up. But this is the first big trademark flagship hotel that's going up in in Belize. And this is truly a game changer for not just us as an organization, but for the entire country of Belize. Because what's happening right now is we have a lot of mainstream tourists who are coming to the country. And and they've heard about how beautiful Belize is and they want to relax and go explore the Caribbean and the jungles. But when they get to the country, they're wildly disappointed by accommodations. And the reality is that that Belize, Ambergris Key specifically, has really been more of an adventure tourism destination. We've had divers and fishermen and people who don't really care where they're sleeping, but will spend 50 bucks a night and then spend the rest of their money in the water. So accommodations are traditionally more mom and pop style, where the thatched roof and maybe when it rains too hard, the thatched roof leaks and the, the person might get a little bit wet, but no big deal because they don't really care about their accommodations. Now with this, this segment of the market, this mainstream tourism market coming to Belize where they have expectations. They don't want water leaking on them in the middle of the night if it starts raining. They want predictable accommodations. They want somewhere they can take their, their new spouse, for example, if they're going uh, on their honeymoon, or they can take their parents or their, their young children. 
So having a product that serves the needs of those consumers is very, very important because that's the reality of the marketplace today. That's the trajectory of the market over the future years here. So we're really excited about that. Uh, it is primarily going to be a resort, but we have reserved some of the suites for private ownership uh, where people can either uh, put them, rent them out or they can live in them full time or come and go as they please. So a lot of flexibility there. But that really is the game changer for the country. And being able to bring in a Marriott hotel, and Marriott has one of the best training programs in the world, the best training programs in the world. And being able to bring that sort of program into the country, train the people there so that whether they stay with us for a year or five years, they're qualified. And then they can really make sure that the tourism industry grows and prospers uh, in the country because tourism is relatively new, relatively new compared to other parts of, of the world. So having these, these credible programs where we can teach about tourism in the hospitality industry is key to a successful tourism market there. So Marriott Residency, is it a hotel or is it condos or is it like, how does this work? Because it's slightly a different concept of normally, like I have a Marriott next door to my house. I was there smoking cigars and drinking old fashions last night. And it's just strictly a hotel, like a, a true, true blue five-star hotel. But this, I think, is a little bit uh, different or modified, I suppose. It is. So in total, it's 202 keys. And we have offered, we're allowing 40%, so about 68 of those condos to be owned privately. So by people like you, people like me, where you get title to the condo. Now, once you have title to that condo, it can be put into the, the rental program with the hotel, or you can live in it full time uh, or come and go as you please. So it is very different. It's not a timeshare. It's not a vacation club. Uh, it is physically, you get physical title to it. It is considered yours. Now, I mentioned 40% of the, the residences that 68, 68 in total, 68 keys in total, are going to be offered for private ownership. And then the remaining are being retained by our development company, ECI Development, to be put into the rental market because they're quite nice numbers uh, that, that we'll be seeing as these get into the marketplace. But uh, so it is, it is very different compared to a lot of the other operations, the Marriott, where it is just a straight hotel. This is you can come in, get title to one of the condos, get it in the rental program or live in it full time, come and go as you please. Uh, but the option is there. So it's residences and resort. So do you then have access to all the amenities that say the other guests who were just there renting um, on short term? Or do you still have access to all of that kind of stuff? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, think of it in a sense like the Ritz-Carlton residences uh, or there are other residences where primarily those developments are just residences or the top two floors will be residences and the bottom will be rentals. So with this this project, it'll be integrated. There's not necessarily a residences section and not necessarily a resort section. It'll be integrated, but you have the same usage of amenities as the guests who are there. You can hang by the, the pool, go to the rooftop lounge, hang out by the spa, work out in the, the beachfront gym, whatever you please is up to you. I first traveled through Belize, I want to say back in 2002. Um, and I was one of the scuba divers. I was out there getting my open waters. I've gone on to do my master's all the way through scuba diving in like a dozen different countries. Wow, congratulations. That, that's big. Congratulations. I love diving and I can't wait to get back to Central America and get back into it. But man, oh man, I wish that I had have purchased 
some land or some property or literally anything out on the islands of Belize back in 2002 because I reckon I would have done quite well for myself. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And you know, it's looking for opportunities like that. And we have in our global property resource kit, it's this real estate investment curve. And at the bottom of the curve, you have countries like Nicaragua. At the top of the curve, you have places like Costa Rica. And right in the middle is Belize. And at the bottom part of the curve where Nicaragua is, is where right now you'll find real estate that is has the opportunity to appreciate. It's not really producing a huge cash flow like Costa Rica is, but entry-level pricing, opportunities for appreciation. At the top part of the curve, you have places like Pacific Costa Rica, Guanacaste, Jaco, where it's been in the, mark- the rental market for 20, 25 years at this point. So there's a developed rental market there. Uh, if you're buying, you're typically buying in at a higher, higher price because over the years, the market has really demanded that. But you're also seeing rental income because there is that popularity there. It's the popularity curve. Now, Belize is really at that central point. It's probably bumped up over uh, to closer towards Costa Rica over the past couple of years. But what we're finding is that Belize really is at that sweet spot of the curve. It hasn't prices haven't plateaued. I mean, it definitely what it was it wasn't what it was when you were there in 2002, but it hasn't yet plateaued. And so, what's something that we're really cognizant of is buying real estate in properties that are all across this real estate investment curve, this popularity curve because they're at different points of their maturation in the rental industry. And just depending on what you're looking for, like if, Mikkel, you are able to buy property and just hold on to it for 20 years, and property taxes there are minimal, so you wouldn't be paying you know, 60 dollars $70, $80 a year just to hold on to it. If you could afford to do that, you would have done really, really well. But, but 20 years ago, that was at the bottom part, believes at the bottom part of the curve closer to Nicaragua. There was no huge marketing plan done by Belize in, in 2002. A lot of it was word of mouth or dive magazines or dive books uh, that, that really talked about the country. So just depending on what your long-term goals are and how, you, how long you can hold on to property or what you want from that real estate will help you determine where it is that you're buying the property. Well, my dad is, I think he's going to be 62 this year, and him and my uncle are both retiring really soon. And they were looking to go down to Central America and share a house, you know, get like a, um, you know, what do you guys call it? Like a snowbird kind of thing where you would escape the cold in Canada, and then you'd go down to the Caribbean for four months or six months of the year or something like that. So I was kind of helping them with this, and, and we were looking at a couple of different properties. And oh my God, the prices in Costa Rica were just astronomical. Like they cost, like a decent place to live in Costa Rica was costing more than say a four bedroom house uh, in my hometown back in Southwestern Ontario. And it was like, well, that's not going to work. You know, like we were just thinking something cheap that we could all kind of share and, and spend a few months in every year. So the prices really have gone up in that entire part of the world. So being able to get in on somewhere where you can, see what is going to happen, like, you know, just down the road, quote unquote, um, I think is, is quite smart. It is. It really is. And it takes foresight. It definitely takes foresight, you know, for somebody who is not necessarily thinking 5, 10, 15 years down the line uh, where you, you're holding onto the property, seeing appreciation. It's going to be a lot more difficult to buy in a place if you don't necessarily have that foresight and it's not as developed as you want it to be. But we call it the path of progress. Countries that are in the path of progress, 
give you the opportunity to really be well rewarded from it. But it takes the pioneers, it takes the frontiers, it takes some of the early adapters to really come in and purchase. Now, people who don't necessarily or can't necessarily see what the future is going to look like there or doesn't necessarily have the time to wait will end up buying in a place where the real estate is probably more expensive, it's more developed, it already has what the person is looking for. And as a result, it, it just tends to be more expensive. But you're right, Costa Rica, because it has had that 20, 25 year advance on a lot of the other countries on the re in the region, it is more expensive. Belize is more expensive than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But each year that people are looking at real estate, prices are going to go up. And if you have the opportunity or the capability of buying real estate, getting it in the rental market, and if your end goal is to retire there or spend time down there, then obviously you want to do it sooner rather than later. There's that famous saying in real estate is the best time to buy real estate was 20 years ago. And if you have the financial means to make that investment, to purchase the property, then, then go for it. If it takes, you know, if you're not necessarily in that position right now, continue to do your homework, visit the location, see where it makes sense for you to buy. Uh, and then when you're ready, be able and able to pull the trigger, then you'll, you'll know exactly where it makes sense for you. Well, I had Grant Cardone on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. You know, he's worth, he's certifiable billionaire in real estate. And he said he didn't buy his first property for the first three years. He was just visiting properties, reading about it, listening to programs, talking to people, you know, just, just learning so that when he did have an opportunity in front of him, he could pull the trigger and he was confident in knowing what he was doing. And he owned something like six and a half thousand apartments in his name. And he said he was going to buy $1.2 billion worth of real estate this year. And he still relies on that information that he still that he learned in the very, very beginning when he started his real estate journey. Absolutely. And that's a really important thing to note. And, you know, we may not all be out there buying $1.2 billion worth of real estate, but, you know, it's important for you to do that homework, do that research. And we get this all the time is people who are not ready to retire, not ready to purchase, but are going through the homework phase, going through what Grant spent his first three years doing was reading, learning, understanding. And we understand that process. We, uh, we like to educate our clients, our potential clients on the market, what's going on, sending monthly newsletters, posting blogs all the time to help you really get familiar with the market down there. So we do encourage everybody to, of course, get that global property resource kit to start. But uh, of course, look at different look at different outlets get familiar with the companies that you're looking at but the best thing that you can do is be there boots on the ground and physically see it with your own eyes because you can read a million different articles and thousands of different papers and articles but but at the end of the day it's really going to be about how you feel and you can't determine that just by reading articles on the internet or even just talking to one of us it's it's we can help you get more informed, but for you to really feel if it's right, you do need to be down there in person. So how would you suggest to people to be able to do that? Just jump on a plane and just show up and, and start knocking on doors and talking to people? Or what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you recommend? What I would recommend is if you're looking in Belize or Costa Rica, and let's say you've targeted on an area that you think you like, reach out to a couple of different developers, talk to them, and then schedule a time to come down, meet with the different developers that you're there, uh, maybe ask one of them to take you around on a tour so you have an idea of what the town or what that community looks like. 
because you, you don't want to necessarily have to go through it alone and you don't have to. But then also when you're walking, I would rec- walk, recommend walking around on your own after you, you go through those tours and synthesize your information a little bit, but talk to other people who are there. I can tell you I'm on Ambergris Key. It's the number one destination in the country right now for tourism and expats. And you can sit down at a, a local beach bar. You can whip out some of your notes and then just start talking to people who you meet at the beach bar to get their uh, their perception on it and what, what they expect. Now, the other thing I would even recommend is is asking, if you're talking to a developer, ask the developer for a few real people that you can talk to and and have it be clients, of course. And you'll probably want a few of them so that you can get different different uh, ideas and, and, d- and different overviews of what people have experienced and, and how they feel about their, their situation there. But uh, if you're buying a resale property, then uh, you may not necessarily have the chance to meet the owner. You may just have uh, the real estate agent or the sales rep there to, to meet you. But um, at that point, I may even recommend bringing in, uh, if you have a real estate friend, bring a real estate friend with you on the, these trips. Um, because one point I didn't note earlier is that real estate agents in a lot of these different countries don't need to be licensed. So what that means is there are people who just want to show properties, hopefully earn a commission from it, but are not experts in what they're selling. And that means they're not going to know about the water pumps and what year they were purchased or how much electricity bills are, or a lot of these considerations that we ask when going through the real estate process in developed countries uh, like Canada and the United States. So um, there, there are a few things I would definitely prepare beforehand, get in touch over the internet with different developers and real estate agents. When you're down there, take a tour uh, of the different properties, take a tour around the town uh, make a list of the pros and cons that you like about each of them. Talk to people who are there. And if you have the ability to do so, bring a real estate friend with you who is a realtor or or just an agent and have them walk through the properties with you because they might be able to point out some things that, that you wouldn't have considered. Those are great tips. So we've spent a lot of time now talking about Belize and a little bit about Panama. Um, but you guys actually have a project that's going on in Argentina. So... I guess my first question is just why Argentina? Like what, what, what made you guys decide that you wanted to do a development there opposed to the Caribbean, which you've been traditionally in over the last 20 years? Great question. So we knew that we wanted to get into the, the vineyard uh, setting because what we really believe in is serving our clients with choice and choice of where they want to be. And we have great properties in the Caribbean, specifically in Belize right now. And, and we may be looking at other opportunities in the Caribbean, but our next acquisition that we wanted to focus on was a different geography. And it is different in many, many ways, but we were focusing on picking up a vineyard estate property in either Chile or Argentina. Now, as an organization, we've been focusing on this for the past seven, eight years, uh, knowing that at some point we wanted to acquire the property. And it just worked out so serendipitously where our CEO, Mike Cobb, uh, has known this fellow, Steve Roseberg, who we're doing the joint venture with for Gosh, about 10, 12 years, they were speaking at the same conferences. Steve had this beautiful property in Argentina. He was looking for investors in the vineyard side of this property. And Steve loves his, his wine. He, his son is a sommelier, and, and they're just experts and passionate about the wine industry. But at the same time, he was, he was growing the grapes and harvesting the grapes. He had allocated a certain area of this estate plantation for 
residential and rental real estate. So he had lots serviced and surveyed and ready to go, but his passion was not in real estate. It was in the wine. So uh, about four years ago, Mike and Steve met up again. They did a horseback ride across the Andes and all of the dots just started connecting for both groups. And so earlier this year, January, 2019, we uh, moved forward with the real estate uh, transaction. And today we do have real estate uh, property that is nestled in between 11 year old vines. It's looking at the foothills of the Andes, you see the snow-capped peaks in the backdrop. It is truly an incredible property and it could not be in a better location. We're about an hour and 15 minutes south of Mendoza. We're surrounded by some of the other best vineyards in the world, really big names in the wine industry. Rothschilds have a vineyard across the street. There's one called the Vines of Mendoza, which is a high-end property where if you want to spend the night there, it's anywhere between $800 to $1,200 a night. If you want to buy real estate, it starts at about $800,000. Bono from U2 has a vineyard right up the street from us. So we're really in this ideal location. And for years, I mean, for years, and you see this in the Vines of Mendoza and Casa de Uco and some of the other places around us, is real estate's expensive. The real estate in a vineyard is expensive. But that's just because that's what the perception of vineyard real estate is. Now, you think about Napa Valley, and if you want to own a house within a vineyard, it's going to cost you a few million dollars. So because there's this perception of a vineyard estate being reserved for the the top half of the top 1%, it has seemed really out of reach for people who don't have four, five, six million dollars to spend on real estate. But the reality is that you can still build really beautiful real estate in a vineyard community and not have it have those enormous price tags. So this goes back to our model of being able to to serve the middle class. And what I mean by middle class is people who have 100,000 to about 500,000 to spend on real estate and don't have the the, the $3 million up to spend on another property uh, outside of their home country. So uh, I'm really excited about this project. Just a few days ago, we were in Argentina for our annual shareholder meeting, ended up meeting up with our architects, went through design concepts and plans, and we're really, really excited to be launching uh, our, our upcoming project there. We're gonna start with tiny, eco-friendly, smart casitas. So there are homes that are, are tiny. They're about 300 square feet of interior space, but they have ample outdoor space. They have the Parisia to cook your, your asado, your meat, that's a grill, to cook your, your famous Argentine beef. And then there'll be a rooftop terrace to each of the houses. And this, from this, you'll have a 360 view of the property from the top of the, the house. It'll be all around vineyards. You have the Andes in the backdrop for about $130,000. I mean, it is so unbelievably affordable. And then in addition to that, we already have a lodge on the property. It has four rooms and it's a B&B currently. It's called La Mirada Guest House. And we look on Expedia or TripAdvisor, one of those, we have uh, great ratings there, but we just need more rooms. So we're currently working on uh, plans to expand the lodge where we'll be able to add about eight more rooms to the lodge area. And then in addition to that, we have we have lots where people can build custom homes or if they want to get some ideas from the floor plans that we have, a two bed, two bath, for example, going for $299, including the lot. I mean, really, again, affordable prices when you're looking at what prices typically are in a vineyard sort of setting. So this was a, a no-brainer for us was partnering up with Steve uh, because he already does have 
mature grapes that are growing. It's about three, he produces about three and a half million kilos of, of grapes per year, which translates to about three and a half million bottles of wine that are produced from this vineyard. And it, it truly is remarkable. It's, it's really neat to see that people are able to have this sort of lifestyle if they've always dreamt about it. If they really enjoy wine or they really like good food and culture, it's there and accessible to them. And the other point I wanted to make is that it's not just about wine in Argentina. I know that's a huge part of their culture there, but in this area that we are specifically, it's a similar climate to Steamboat, Colorado or Denver, Colorado, where it's, it's dry, we get snow uh, over the winter months, but it is really a pleasant climate there. And there are a lot of hiking trails, horseback riding trails, rivers to go fly fishing or to go swimming really neat sort of climate there that was just so unbelievably different compared to the Caribbean or the Pacific setting that we have now. And I live in Belize. I like the beach. I don't love the beach. I would probably rather be in a setting like Argentina, but we also know that our clients don't necessarily all love the beach or don't necessarily all love the mountains. So being able to offer this geographic choice is critical when, when serving the marketplace. Well, I, you know what? I live by maybe five minutes from the beach here in Abu Dhabi, and I think we go once a year maybe. So I'm like, you know, I, I'm listening to you talk about Argentina, and I'm like, oh, do I really want to go to Panama? Jeez, and I just told everyone it's like 90% sure. Let me tell you something, Mikel. There's a direct flight from Panama City to Mendoza. It takes about six and a half hours. And so whenever you're in Panama, you'll be able to just take that, that flight right over to Mendoza, spend a little bit of time there. But one of the big pluses to Panama is that you do have awesome connections with Copa. You're able to pretty much get anywhere in the world that you want to be with a, a direct or at least a transfer. No joke. I am absolutely going to check that out. That's brilliant. Okay, Rach. So just for ease of use, let's use me as an example. Say that I did want to get a place down in Argentina, or I wanted to pick up a place in Belize or any of the other countries that we've been talking about, how would that look? Like, where would I start? And, and, and how, how would I start working with a developer on these types of projects? Great question. So it's going, the process is going to vary depending on country when it comes to the legal part. But upfront, what you'll do is most people tend to do their research by Googling or listening to podcasts like this, connecting up with the developer or the real estate agent. And I think the best thing that you can do is be upfront with the real estate agent or the developer and let them know what you're thinking. If you have no idea what you, what you want yet, that's okay. Let them know that as well so that they can steer you in the right direction and, and give you information that's relevant to you. So many times we've had people come in and say, well, this is what I want. But you know, in the end, we find out that they're never going to visit, that they don't have any children. They really don't need a four-bedroom penthouse on the beachfront. Um, so just be upfront with, with that sort of information. But don't you think that, uh, and, and I'm not saying for me, but I think that a lot of people get scared when they try to admit to someone that they don't know anything. They're, they're worried that someone's going to take advantage of them, right? Sure. And, and that's a really great point. And, you know, obviously when you're in a position like that, I wouldn't, don't necessarily be afraid, but see what kind of resources they have available for you. And any great developer or great real estate agent would have a handbook maybe about more information regarding the real estate process or be able to refer you to blogs or articles or YouTube videos that they watch in order to familiarize themselves with the process. Uh, one thing I would always recommend is, is kind of double checking 
what somebody is telling you. If you're talking to a sales agent and they tell you that you can, well, I don't know, I'm going to give an example. A real estate agent tells you that you can, you don't have to pay income tax on your, your, your rental income in Belize, which is not true if you're, um, but if let's say they're telling you that you can always do a double sort of checking on, on the internet and, and see what that case looks like. But I would, I, I would recommend talking to the real estate agent or developer about it because any good real estate developer or sales agent would be able to guide you to resources that maybe they produced or maybe that they found helpful, whether it's YouTube videos or articles on another website or whatever it may be, because you need to be informed before you start doing anything. And that may even be a great way to start the conversation is, I'm new to this industry. I'm looking for as much information as possible. Can you guide me to where I can find information about property taxes and income tax and foreign rights for a for a for a foreigner buying real estate in this country? Uh, because I mean, gosh, I've had some clients that I've been working with for four or five years who haven't purchased property yet, but they're going through that process of education. And if you're working with a sales agent or developer who doesn't have that sort of patience or is not willing to provide you with those sort of resources, then find another one. Move on and find another one. There are plenty out there, and you need to be educated as you're going through this process. Okay, so first step would kind of be reach out to a developer, be honest with them, and then see what type of resources they're able to assist you with. And, you know, if they can't provide that type of information, then most likely you this is not the company that you want to work with, especially if you're kind of new to the buying real estate overseas, international real estate type of thing. So kind of what would be the, the next step? So say we go through this first process and you feel comfortable with the developer or with the sales agent. What, what would happen next? I would recommend if everything sounds right to you and you're getting the sort of information that you want to schedule a trip to come to the country. Now, sometimes real estate agents or developers offer discovery weekends or trips for you to come down and explore the area. Uh, others don't, but you can come down on your own and they'll meet up with you and schedule meetings. So I would recommend booking a trip down to see the property in person. You, know, you can do some great stuff with Photoshop these days, and it's really important for you to physically be there, be boots on the ground, and make sure that the information that they're sharing with you is what you're seeing for your own eyes. Okay, and then step three. Let, let's make this like a, I don't know, what, what do you want to do? Like a five-step process? We do this a six-step process. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, Rachel, but uh, I, I, I believe in you. Okay, so step one and step two, we know. What, what would be the next thing? What would be next in line? All right, so next in line, I would say to go through that global property resource kit and ask those questions when you're down there in person. You know, silly questions is a plum for hot water. You can see if it's accessible during wet season and dry season. But if everything is sounding really good to you, I would request, I would recommend that you request seeing the paperwork. So this would be the sales paperwork. This is not necessarily you confirming that you're going to move forward, but it's not uncommon for for agents to give out templates of the final paperwork to the uh, to the buyer. And then within that template, ask them just to give you a breakdown of, of costs, maybe unforeseen costs that you didn't talk about yet. Because in the countries, there are closing costs and some there are stamp closing cost stamp duties and others, you as the buyer are going to be paying for the commission and the sales tax on top of that commission for 
that agent. So get a list, get, get the paperwork, get a template of the paperwork. And then in addition to that, get a list of all of the costs that maybe are outside of that base cost of the condo for the home. And then, and I'm sure we could probably do an entire interview or episode just about this, but is there financing available traditionally for purchasing real estate overseas? Oh, gosh, that's a great question, Mikkel. It depends entirely on the developer or the reseller. So it's very, very difficult for foreigners to get real estate financing from a local bank. Uh, and and typically their bank in the United States or their home country is not going to finance on property in another country because they don't have any legal right over it. So what I would recommend if you are dependent on financing is number one, seeing if the developer has it or seeing if the resale, uh, the reseller has it. Or uh, what I've had some clients do in the States is they've taken out a second mortgage or primary mortgage against their home, or they've gotten a line of credit from, uh, from their, their bank in the U.S. and used that. And there are, I mean, there are options. We work with one called KeyBank, C-A-Y-E. They provide international financing for foreign clients. Now, don't be surprised. Don't have sticker shock when you hear the interest rates, but typically they charge 11 to 13 percent. We were able to negotiate to a good 6.9% interest, so happy about that. But there are options. KeyBank is one. Uh, but if you are looking for alternatives to that, then getting a mortgage against your home or getting a line of credit is a great way to go about it as well. So you end up doing a bit of research. You visit the place. You go through the resource guide. You ask your questions. You get your financing in place. Is that it? Do you, do you buy the place? Do you move in tomorrow? Or, or what, what happens next? <laughs> Am I there yet? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. I would recommend hiring an attorney uh, at that point, a local attorney. And you don't usually want to have the same attorney that the real estate company has or that the, the seller has. Because it, that could be a big conflict. So hire an attorney, have them do that due diligence. And this was the part point four where my friend Paul and I really got to the point of understanding in Panama that this was not the right project for us. We've done our research. I'd been to Panama. I knew where the project was. Um, we understood the costs that were involved, saw the templates of the paperwork. And then step number four is where we hired the attorney to do that background information for us. So I would consider that a step on its own. It will take a little bit more time. It will add to that sales process, but it can save you hundreds of thousands of dollars now rather than learning down the line that it's not necessarily the right the right project or the right opportunity for you. And then step number five. So step number five is going to vary per country, but this is the point where you'll complete the paperwork. You'll complete it with the seller. Uh, and then from there, submit everything. Some countries need the original copies. Some, some countries just need the scanned copy. You'll go through that with uh, the seller and understand exactly what you need and then go through the titling process. Um, titling, titling can take time depending on the country you're in. Nicaragua is four to six months. Panama can be 20 to 24 months. But that doesn't mean you're not going to get title. It's just setting expectations, understanding that it, it takes time. And depending on the country you're in, sometimes you need to get a tax ID number. Um, I, you do need to do that in Argentina, but that's all part of the closing process, which you work on directly with the, with the seller or your agent there. Uh, and then places like Belize, for example, they don't require you to have a tax ID, uh, but they do require you to fill out paperwork, get items authenticated or notarized or apostilled. But 
you'll go through that with the seller so that you don't have to go through it alone. And then, and we've been speaking specifically about uh, building on spec or purchasing on spec. What's usually the build time you should expect for these types of projects uh, throughout the Caribbean or Latin America? Are they similar to what we would expect in North America or longer or shorter or? Longer. I, I would definitely include two to four months on whatever any developer or real estate agent tells you that the timeline will take. You know, in, in Belize, or the, the quote, the slogan on the flag is, in the shade we flourish. I mean, quite literally, you see that at some of the construction sites where the construction workers are sitting there flourishing in the shade for a couple of hours. But I mean, one of, and that's not really a, a, a critical part as to where the time is, especially in countries like Belize, that you tend to have is an import of a lot of the construction materials because Belize does not produce any of the materials there in the country. So you need to bring in the steel, you need to bring in the cinder blocks. And so a lot of that adds time onto the construction period. So I would say it will take a little bit longer than you're expecting, add two to four months on top of it. Uh, but but you know, it will get built, it will get built very, very well, uh, but it just takes a little bit of time. Perfect. That makes sense. I, I've traveled so much through these countries, so I had to throw that in there to, you know, a little bit of patience, I think, goes a long way. It's true. And there's a saying that we have in Belize for foreigners who are coming to live in the country for the first time or even just vacationing, and it's pack your patience. Pack your patience. Out of everything that you bring with you, that is one of the most important parts because there are different processes and procedures and timelines and it's not going to always go on track and it's not going to be perfect. But if you're able to take a step back, take a deep breath, understand that it is being worked out, you're going to save yourself a lot of gray hairs, a lot of wrinkles and a lot of stress uh, knowing that it will get done and you can be patient about it. Well, that's true. You know, like you can't expect to get a place in Argentina for $300,000 where the same property in Napa Valley would be $3 million and expect that everything is going to be exactly the same. Uh, you know, you're getting a massive discount on the, the property, the land, everything else. You know, you, you pay for it in other ways. So it's, it's important to be mindful of these things, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is. And one of the things that I hear over and over again in Belize is people saying, well, if this was America, we wouldn't do it like that in America. If this was America, it would happen like this. And one of the things to remember is that you're not buying in America. You're buying in another country. You're buying overseas and they have a way of, of operating. And it may not be the most efficient, but it's what works there. It's what they are comfortable doing. Now there may be room for improvement, but you know what? That's not up to you to decide. So let them continue as they're, they're operating, if it's working for them, uh, and just be grateful that you have the opportunity to own real estate in that foreign country because there are a lot of countries where you as a foreigner can't come in and buy the real estate, but uh, being able to have that opportunity, that luxury of owning beachfront real estate in the Caribbean or vineyard estate in Argentina is, is truly uh, an amazing opportunity. Brilliant. Super, super interesting interview today, Rachel. My goodness, I have learned so, so much. Um, kind of hard to to keep track of everything. If my listeners, if they've learned a lot, if they want some more information, if they want to get a hold of you and find out more about what you do, uh, where can we send them? Yes, please email us expat, E-X-P-A-T, 
at ECI Development, E-C-I-D-E-V-E-L-O-P-M-E-N-T. And from there, if you want the Global Property Resource Kit that we talked about a couple of times, that's a purely educational document that is meant to help you as you're beginning or, or going through that process of looking at real estate overseas, we'll send that over to you. Just write KIT, K-I-T, in the subject line, and we'll email that over. But uh, other than that, you can uh, reach out to Mikkel if you have any specific questions or just send us an email to expat at ecidevelopment.com, and we're happy to help you going from there. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Rachel. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you, Mikkel. You too. You are not facing global uncertainty alone. There is help. Arm yourself with the foresight that only Early Warning Report, EWR, can provide. Since 1991, Richard Mayberry, editor of Early Warning Report, has guided readers in simple, fast-reading, direct language toward ways to protect their wealth against political, military, and financial chaos governments are causing around the world. The performance of your investments is determined mostly by the performance of the economy, and the performance of the economy is determined by law and politics. To know how your investments will behave, you must know how governments will behave. Often citing historical parallels, Early Warning Report doesn't just explain what is happening to you. It suggests ways to protect your savings. It suggests ways to protect your savings and earn profits. We challenge you to find any publication with a better track record. Between 1989 and 2007, geopolitics and the military events were dominant, offering huge profits. From 2007 to 2017, economics was the focus. Now Mr. Mayberry forecasts that geopolitics and military events have returned to center stage. These revelations and insights are available only in Early Warning Report. Take advantage of this time-limited offer. Order today. Join the exclusive group of well-informed readers who are highly skeptical of the analysis they receive from the mainstream media. Claim your 40% off of the cover price of Early Warning Report. Just go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash EWR. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region.
But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.